Can I always add? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's more funny. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, definitely, the humour definitely. Uh, makes the the violence more uh, palatable and um, the um, the vampires imploding. I find that quite comical. Um, it, I, I'm sure it's not meant to be that, but it's there's some very impressive work. Um, with images, I was kind of limited by what was on, on the net and what was released, but um, this is our long shadow where he is imploding and, uh, and then Bill burning. I would have liked to have had um, the, uh, the king have him burning, but that's the, the stages of makeup. So there are three set stages of makeup, and then they, they add in the CGI. And you know, you see a lot of that where you've got the silver and wounds healing up in real time. Um, like something I didn't notice in the, the first series, because uh, I wasn't actually looking at it with makeup eyes when I, I saw True Blood. Um, I didn't notice, uh, like, have I already said this? I'm going to see now. No, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, I didn't notice that they, they were using a, it didn't even dawn on me. I just thought, well, because of the angle, it could have just been um, tubing uh, worth her sucking off. But they actually used a, a prosthetic arm with tubing in it so that she could suck the blood off. And I totally didn't even notice it. It was just a part of the story. Uh, that's from uh, one of the Silence of the Lambs films. And that's a very impressive. And I just thought I'd chuck in just... Uh, it was Gary Oldman, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Yeah. Uh, I just thought I'd chuck in uh, a few character makeups as well. Uh, where uh, This is from Pan's Labyrinth and how... Like that particular character, the first character, um, just the way they, they rig up his feet and, um, you know, the, the use of blue screen as well uh, with the, the CGI, it just really makes things come alive. And I think where CGI and prosthetics are, are really married really well is when it's just a vehicle that you see to tell the story. So you're not actually noticing the effect um, there are, there, when looking through the series, there were things that really kind of hit me in the head where you're going, oh yeah, that's CGI, CGI, boom, boom. But there were things that were really quite subtle where you just totally forgot and you were um, picked up by the story. And I think that's a sign of a really good series where you get caught up in the story and not the makeup or the special effects. So, um, yeah, that's kind of. Um, that's really um, about it. Does anyone have like any favourite? Um... That's, that's um, Guillermo del Toro's <laughs> yes. idea of what a children's movie should be. <laughs> that that's actually a really good film for um, um, uh, not not the kind of the the monsters, but uh, the actual uh, just the, the special effects where uh, he's he's sewing up his mouth mm. where he's been cut and. Uh, he drinks whiskey and you can see it coming out. Mm. And um, I think that's the first time I've seen something like that. Um, and then in the, the Masters of Horror series, there's a, a, a vampire one where um, he has his throat ripped out and he's, he's thirsty. He doesn't realise he's dead and 
he's going to drink and you actually see the water pour out. So CGI is fantastic for removing volume that you can't cheat with a, a special effects or prosthetics. Yeah, it's hard to... You can't do that with the actors. You can do it with the extras. Yes, because, you know, you can use amputees and uh, that's something that's become um, more uh, known. It's, um, there was an amputee got to meet their walls. <laughs> Did they get to meet the were pig though? <laughs> I, th I think I like the, um, the use of the CGI in the show. It's not heavy handed too often but one of the things I like about, because you know werewolves are flavour of the month, we've been through, maybe flavour is not the right word, we've been through zombies, were uh, vampires and werewolves are quite popular at the moment as well. I always think it's difficult to take the human from the werewolf back into the person. You know, I mean, we've all seen American Werewolf in London, mm. Rick Baker's wonderful special yeah. effects for that. But to pull them back into the human being, unless you're just reversing their camera, is actually kind of tricky to do. You can mm. burst things out, but come it back. I guess that's where the CGI comes in with this. Mm. Do you mean Buffy, they used to do... Um, uh, after a while they got us trained like Pavlov's dog they didn't actually have to show a staking you just hear it in the background you go, you'd hear woof and that would be it you didn't need to actually do it, how cool is that? the, the non-special effect um, I think I saw a hand over here yeah, go for it yep yeah. uh, you can actually get um, blood that you can put in the eyes and then when someone cries it it, it actually does um, come as. Uh, I think she said it was a mix of uh, the the blood uh, using a, a blood product for in the eyes uh, and uh, a mix of CGI. Wardrobe would hope that they would use CGI, <laughs> unless they've got a very good like blood re recipe that doesn't stain. If um, if you're interested in, in blood recipes, if you use a pigment that is oil based it's less likely to stain it's still a stain because red pigments are very small pigments so it gets into your skin uh, but it's less likely to leave a durable stain so sorbitol and uh, an oil based pigment and you can get it from um, cake making places or food uh, suppliers that are, are specialist food suppliers and it's just a 2% solution you can put something else in to act as a preservative. I can see another hand. Sorry, it's really hard because oh, we're, we're like... Um, um, I just want to ask you, so when she cries blood, yep. it's something they put in your eyes. Yeah. How do they do that? I mean, wouldn't you see when she's looking at the camera that her eyes are red and she starts crying? How does it work? I think they might have put, like, put the drops in before they start the scene. And so the drops are... The eye is coated with these drops, and then when they cry, then their tears mix with the, um, the blood that's put in your eye, like it's clear. 
So it's oh. not actually red that's being put in your eye, it's a reaction that it has and then you get the blood coming down. But, Sorry. Yeah, go for it. Was yeah. she physically fine or did it actually irritate her eyes if the tears had come out? <laughs> um, that's a good point. I don't know because I haven't actually tried the blood stuff in my eyes. Um, uh, I've done noses, mouths and other kind of places but... Um, I haven't actually been in a situation where I need to have blood from my eyes. So. It sounds like a party trick, doesn't it? I can make blood come out of my eyes if I drink some blood and uh -huh. my nostrils and my ears. You probably actually can do that kind of thing. You can do that with milk. No, that's... <laughs> not good. Anyone who's actually interested in the um, in special effects makeup and so on, it's very easy now. You can just go on YouTube and get DIY instructions. Just check it out and they'll, they'll give you plenty of... Um, examples of that but uh, I'm sure um, uh, Helena would also agree with me that one of the best books is and still available in print online to uh, Dick Smith's monster makeup book that's not the Dick Smith that flies helicopters <laughs> that's the e exorcist Dick Smith the guy who who's you know the makeup one of the makeup gurus and uh, there's a lot of interesting blood recipes in that corn syrup and um uh, food colouring is one of my favourites. Yeah, it stains, but it, it can gum up really nicely and look like serum, and you know, and it's edible too. You just got to hope that they're not uh, diabetic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Extras. But you would check that out beforehand. Um. What about fangs? Where do you get fangs? Uh, oh, okay, you can get them online. Um, or you can have them made. So um, I've made them before, and uh, I, the first kind of uh, I did this really low budget uh, film, and um, I didn't know how to make them. I just kind of uh, looked it up and went ahead and, and did it. And uh, it's a, it's a simple process, but it wouldn't be as refined. It's more refined now, but then it wasn't as refined as a, a dental world in the sim so I had to do it on two different machines so I had my iMac and my my laptop and I did them both one on each to sort of keep it as clean as possible so they actually had the same home the same you know everything um, to try and make it the same as possible but they still turned out really really different mm. so I mean, where did you go for that? Did you sort of, did you have like a really regimented like scientific program? <laughs> did you have like, okay, week one, this is how you guys are going to suffer. Like week two, I'm going to no, give you no, some I, cheese. I tried not to, to plan my suffering um, <laughs> or my, what I would do to them. I tried to sort of, they both initially, you know, I, the first thing you do when, you, when I make sims anyway, I can't speak for anyone else, but when I make a sim, the first thing I set them up with is a job, you know, a way to get income and a way to do all those kinds of things. And I just, I just didn't. I didn't, I just let them sort of let the money run out after they bought their house. Um, and then when their money ran out, that's when I said, okay, it's time for you guys to get jobs. Um, but I didn't really say, okay, I'm going to mess with your jobs now or anything like that. It was, it's more, and I think in the next, in the next sort of group, it's going to be more about relationships with other Sims and um, seeing what we can do with that. But I'm not going to go in there to sabotage it. I just want to sort of see what organically happens. So I, I do only intervene when... Um, when it's super fun. When <laughs> and I haven't that much, actually. But when, when I think someone's going to die if I don't intervene or when, you know, I let Ted wet his pants 
because I was not going to tell him to go to the bathroom. He has to do that for himself. Um, <laughs> and it got to the point where he did. And it was, it was a, a really big deal to me because he just completely fell apart and was unable to serve his basic functions. <laughs> and, and Amy spent the whole time laughing at the rug in the bathroom and looking out the window and, and you know, and it's, it's, it's really, really different about the things that they both did that were completely different. And, and I think if I was too heavy handed with my, um, mess with, with messing with them, it would have just been completely unable to compare the two. And I really did want to look at the two genders and try and see how they were different and why. Were they immediately different or did they sort of spin out of control? Um, well, not out of control. They sort of did spin a little bit. They did start very similar. They both did the same thing on the same day and then it sort of seemed like there was some kind of dice roll and they both went like that. And I, I was really... That's what made me really want to keep doing this as well because I really felt like it was because of gender was the only thing that made that happen because right. they were the same and nothing happened to make them go differently. So it must be some kind of... The paranoid feminist in me thought yeah. it must be some kind of, you know, active decision to make them, you know, this must be a jibe against my gender, you know, that kind of thing. Do you feel like, like one of them ended up portraying depression more accurately in that kind of thing? Like, does um, laughing at a rug... I think still I was it a really funny rug? Like, like, no, that's a very boring <laughs> rug. Um, I don't think they both... I don't think either of them really depicted depression accurately, but they definitely did differently. And I was curious to see whether that was based on gender. For example, the way Amy deals with her depression is she gets sad, but then she cheers up pretty quickly and she's a bit more manic. She's a bit more bipolar. She gets sort of has her ups and her downs, whereas Ted is just morose quite evenly. And I started wondering whether that was because, you know, women are supposed to be nice at all times and make sure you're pleasant, make sure you're pleasant, make sure you're pleasant. And guys are allowed to be kind of grumpy and in their own... Well, like different stereotypes about the way the genders go crazy. Yeah, 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 definitely. Like um, Ted would just sort of go have outbursts of anger out of nowhere and, and Amy would kind of just say something in babble and then sort of laugh at it and then walk off. And it was just really, it was really bizarre that he got to be angry. She, she, was, she was angry sometimes, but not as often as he was. And yeah, and, and it is a sample size of two. So I can't say that gender was the deciding factor for all of this behaviour. But I, I want to explore that a little bit more in this blog. Yeah. Um, how, how much are you sort of conscious of this project as being almost like a documentary? Like, do you think about <laughs> it that way? Um, I hadn't before, actually. I was just watching and seeing what happens. But in essence, that's what a documentary is. So I didn't actually frame it in that way, but it turns out that it is that completely. Um, except that I do intervene. Whereas a documentary, you know, a proper documentary, I don't want that to be a value judgment, but a proper documentary does stand back and just let it happen. Whereas I do step in, I give them jobs, I, you know, I um, pay their make sure they pay their bills so that the debt collector doesn't come up and, and steal their computer and that kind of thing. And I do intervene when, when I feel like I need to, to, to keep it flowing nicely, mm. not necessarily to, to go towards an end, but to just keep it sort of flowing well and in a, in a direction that I find interesting. Mm. So what, what is your, what are you trying to, like, what's your end point? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'd like to um, to have a larger sample size and do this with a couple of different sims and sort of then maybe approach the developers and, and see 
maybe, if, um, if there, there were active creative decisions made to have these kinds of results, whether gender was a difference in how depression was represented or even how any of their real sim behaviour was, was represented by their gender. Um, and I find that really interesting because uh, I think it's such a huge game with such a huge scope with so many creative people involved that there must have been decisions made by some one single person sitting at, at their workstation making that decision. I don't, th I don't think it could have all gone through committee. I, I just, it might have, and I could be wrong, but there's got to be something where someone goes, oh yeah, women are like this, pff, you know, or men are like this, boom, you know, or, or even randomise the whole thing and it's all random. But perception. Yeah, it's all, it could all be perception. <laughs> it could also just be like a number, like in the code, it's just like, oh, let's just wait it. Like, yeah. like, let's just make this point three. That'll yeah. be fine. It could be. It could be anything like that. And I, I'm really interested in that because if I was sat down to make a game like this, I think I would want to micromanage every little decision. And I don't, I don't know how that'd be possible with the scope of The Sims. It's just so huge that you've got a, you've, you've got some bias has got to be in there somewhere, whether you want it to be in there or not. It's, it would be really, really incredibly hard to try and avoid that happening. Well, it's also because we don't have the data. Like, we don't have the mm. same level of data about human behaviour that we have, say, about traffic behaviour or, like, sewage pipe behaviour mm. or that kind of thing that you could actually... Like, I've often wondered if um, SimCity at all replicates what um, water engineers and the kind of data that those people use to actually plan real cities because their simulations are actually really sophisticated. Mm. Um, so if they wanted to, they could make something that actually, like, we know replicates the behaviour of real cities. But we, I don't think we have the same kind of data on the behaviour of real people, especially en masse. Mm. Um, and especially and so, what's yeah, going on it in becomes, their headbox. Yeah, like, that's like, the most private, personal thing yeah. of all human behaviour is what's going on in your headbox. And that's, yeah. it's really hard to get any kind of data on yeah. that. Yeah, so mm. like The Sims becomes you know, one developer's opinion on the way that humans behave. And that's, yeah. yeah, whose opinion is it? On yeah, the way there's, depression there's works? so many biases yeah. that could come into it. There's racial bias, there's gender bias, there's whether that person has been through depression themselves or whether, you know, that person's had any mental illness in their life or any exposure to it at all. Or, you know, there's, there's so many opportunities for someone to make a bit of a, a furphy without even really <laughs> realising it. Um, a and then a generation of children. <laughs> Surely not. No, never. Um, yeah, so I... I I want to explore that a little bit more, and I'm doing a pretty half-assed effort of getting there, but I'm giving it a crack. <laughs> it's interesting to me. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's also the, the, the fact that The Sims is ultimately, at the end of the day, an entertainment product. Yeah, it like can't it's, be too it's, heavy. It's, yeah, yeah, like it, in terms of its presentation. But yeah. I mean, have you had any contact with the developers? Have, have they seen Sim Interrupted and just gone, what? <laughs> um, they have seen it and they said they liked it and they sent me some games <laughs> so I think I'm allowed to use the logo and I think I'm allowed to use the font which is a relief I thought I might not be allowed to but if, they, if they're saying it's good then I consider that permission um, <laughs> yeah they, they sent me some, some games I haven't actually used them in the blog because I wanted to do sort of the vanilla without all the expansion they've sent me a couple of expansions um, which ones? I, uh, seasons and... Uh, university, I think. I haven't played them. Because it might just be like your sim has seasonal affective disorder. Yeah, <laughs> it might be. Yeah, and that's the thing. I didn't actually want the expansions, even if they only add pets or only add this or only add that, I didn't want them to actually have little patches in them that do modify the AI in the individual sim's 
brains and change their behaviour because I'm running this expansion. So I wanted it to be able to sort of be on its own and be vanilla and not be affected by any little... Uh, they might they might have realised one of their furfies and fixed it in a new expansion. I don't want them to be able to do that <laughs> when I'm looking at them critically like this. So, yeah. Um, and this this kind of became part of a... I mean, Michelle, we'll talk a lot about kind of a much wider kind of range of storytelling, but this became... Sim Interrupted became part of other people exploring their other ideas. Like you were talking about the the, sim, the homeless. Yeah. Sims. Um, well, that wasn't because of Sim Interrupted. That was, that existed sort of parallel, but they had the same sort of idea of, of really delving into this storytelling um, aspect. Alice and Kev, if you haven't heard of it, I'm seeing people nodding, so some of you have heard of it. Um, that this uh, Roe Berkey over in the UK has put two Sims and their house on a block and then taken the house away. So effectively made their Sims homeless uh, and seen what that does to them mentally um, as well as physically and everything. And it's really heartbreaking. It's a really hard read in some bits. Um, the little g- It's a little girl and her dad. Her dad is inappropriate and has um, some so, some yeah. substance abuse issues in in as much as that's a sim the sim version of of said substance abuse issue he's nuts um and he tries to kiss her at one point or he tries to do something sort of sexual to her at some point and it's his own daughter um which is heavy for the sims like yeah. that's heavy <clears throat> and she breaks into people's houses not to steal things but to sleep in a real bed um and to to she raids their fridge for ice cream because that's something she never gets. And you're reading this blog. I was in tears. I was in absolute <laughs> tears. Going, why would you do this to these poor little Sims? And how do I get to do that? So it was. <laughs> um, it was. It was a big influence in in Sim Interrupted to sort of look at Alice and Kevin, see how you could just delve into some characters and explore them a little bit and see see how dark you can make this game, or you know how how you can read into it more than this happy fun Sim. Like that trailer was all, woo! You know, there was a scrap in there, but even that looked fun. You know, and, and I wanted to see how the person interacting with, with the game could take it a different way to someone else. It is the idea of, like, um, I think we'll talk about this later, but this, the idea of, like, The Sims as a, a writerly text. Yeah. You know, it, like, enables the production of new texts through its systemic properties as well. I think it's a really, it's kind of... It was almost the start of that because the first one came out in 2000. Mm. And games before that hadn't really had this curatorial aspect, like curatorial narrative. Mm. Um, We've had God games, but not sort of in this micromanaged kind of scope. Like yeah. this is huge, huge compared to what we had before. Yeah. Which is quite a nice segue um, into, <laughs> into talking about um, Michelle's uh, kind of background, which is in... <laughs> these sorts of much larger and much more diverse storytelling communities. So this is one for The Sims too. This is just a live journal. Um, And so people do these amazing, like, different types of of things. And there's a Sims 3 one as well. So, so Michelle, how how did you get into this? I honestly actually don't remember. Um, I've always used LiveJournal just as a blogging tool and um, I think when I started getting into The Sims 2 when um, online I was sort of just searching around to see what was out there and um, Sims 2 communities started coming up like this, the, is that The Sims 3? That's The Sims 3, but yeah. So people, same people run it, it's run The Sims 2. 
Um, and yeah, I just sort of joined in and discovered all these challenges. Like you can do challenges and legacy challenge. It will get your family to 10, 10 generations. You've got apocalypse challenge where you can you know, destroy the town and you only have one soul survivor or I think you roll a random it's dice. Like achievement hunting. Yeah, yeah. And yeah it's, it's giving you goals for your little sims if you're really like earning badges in some way. <laughs> um, one I found today, which would be funny, um, starving artist. You can only earn money through writing or using your easel. Can't get a job, <laughs> can't marry other sins, can't move like anyone it. in, but yeah. you can only earn money. And you have to somehow progress in your generations as well, which is really kind of amazing. I think amusing. I've done that without, without knowing without about challenges. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I'm just like, oh, well, this is really cool. And then um, that you could post them online. So, so many people get really into um, the storytelling aspect. And one of my favourites was actually... They started on the Broke family, if everyone knows who the Broke family is. Um, Brandy Broke, um, dead husband, died in a pool, pregnant with his, the child, and um, Dustin is the, the teenage son. And they, they started and they went progressed through the, the Broke family and um, I think Dustin ended up getting abducted by aliens and came back <laughs> pregnant with an alien child. And it was all very... Which was green. Yeah, which was green. And... <laughs> um, I think I've, I probably stopped reading. She got too busy with her actual life that she couldn't progress with the story <laughs> um, about generation four or generation five. But she had she instead of just focusing on the main family, she got the whole aspects. So even though they moved out, they were still involved in the story. And oh, she had, she put so much time and effort into it, and it's just cool. It was really really cool. Um, but mostly through just the live journal communities. So we should maybe, I mean, so we should take a look at some of these because some of them are, like, they're really diverse. Some of them are, are just pictures. So this is the Fezziwigs 2.2 of Christmas Round Robin. <laughs> um, That's a great name. Um, and I, I can't, can you, can you maybe parse what's going on here? Because I can't really make sense. Is she taking a picture of a baby with a light bulb hat on? <laughs> That's, um, She's sterilising bottles. Ah, uh, okay. And that's the aspiration hat or something. Oh. Ah. It rejigs your moods. Baby shoes. They just learnt to walk. So this is just like... A sh- Grandma oh. can't move because the baby's in the way. <laughs> <laughs> Babies ruin everything. <laughs> um, so this is just like a, like a snap, like someone doing like um, Christmas snapshots um, of, this, of this family. But there are, yeah. there are far more elaborate ones. Um... The one that I really liked was the kind of the this one in Verona, the weaker vessels. This is one I think I click it and it goes, this one contains adult content. Um, <laughs> so it's far more, it's kind of, it's got these staged images and it's got this, this text. So, I mean, I mean, for me, like coming from outside of the Sims community, how, how complex is this sort of process? How much time do people spend on this sort of thing? Gosh, you can spend forever trying to get the right angle. Because you have to control the in-game camera, and if your mouse is really sensitive, it throws the whole angle off. <laughs> um, You're in next door's house. Or some people are really—if they've got the inside shot and they're looking up—they have to have the ceiling on so you don't see the sky above right. them. Oh, you can get really, really detailed with how close or far away, and the, the juxtaposition of your Sims. And um, there is a mod that you can put into the Sims um, called the Imsiminator. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, and it can spawn a whole bunch of objects that have hacks, basically, and you can you can tell your sim to do something, and then they can do a pose, and lots of people use those sorts of things to okay. get the the posing and the positioning of your sims right, and um, 
Some of them with the legacies, it's just more documenting what's going on in their little family. And, um, so do you mean take the pictures and then like... Yeah, if something, you know, momentous story? happens or, um, you know, grandma decides to have an affair with the neighbour or something like that, they'll take photos and um, mostly it just turns into a more of a... Um, this. Some people like to try to make it really, really um, in-depth, like with the Broke family, but... Um, Mostly it is just humorous commentary on my crazy sims are doing this and I left them alone for 30, 30 seconds and then they've gone off and ruined the whole family sort of thing, <laughs> which is kind of the organic nature of the sims. You can just leave them alone and they will go off, especially if they've got the romantic aspiration or if they're a bit, you know, um, inappropriate and stuff like that. Yep. So it can cause some dramatic moments. I mean, because something like this feels very staged. Like that there's some... Yeah. Like this, these shots are... It's like cinematic. Yeah, yeah, it's but it's cinematic, but also like it tells a really clear story. Mm. Yeah. As well. And so the so pe- they probably spent like, you know, ten minutes trying to just get them posing the right way, communicating right. with each other over the desk or something. So yeah. With the right expression on their face. Exactly. Yeah. I mean how much of it comes down to like people responding to like the tool and the actions versus like massively choreographing like a story? Oh, is it kind of both? It is both, I would say. Um, some of them, like this particular story, they're obviously really trying to get into the posing of the, the pictures, so it's just um, a lot more narrative versus just documenting through pictures. Others are just like picture, 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 one, one line commentary. So it's really up to the person who's de- developing the story. It's up to what they want to do. But, um, more dramatic storylines probably lend themselves to the more choreographed stuff too because you want that tension and that yes. sort of... Yeah, it's definitely. got to have an influence. They usually have things in mind that they want to at least orchestrate to develop those, those, those plot points, but yeah. some of them can be really, I want to control everything. Others just say, oh, well, I'll make my student do this and see what happens. So, so it's kind of more like an, like an improvised yeah. like document or a mockumentary type thing. Mm. Um, what do you think it is about The Sims that sort of draws people to this process? And, like, this kind of diversity of process. Oh, gosh. I don't know. I'm willing to open it over to anyone else, but... <laughs> the developers are aware of it, I think. Yeah. Because you do have the camera button... Yes. ...where you can take a screenshot... Yes. ...in the HUD. It does go into... I think in-game has... Um, I can't remember if it was in Sims 2, but I've noticed with Sims 3, you have, like, your little photo album of your life story. I mm. um, can't remember. I've not really taken any photos in Sims 3. But Sims 2, it went into your little um, scrapbook, as it were. And you can actually open up your scrapbook and actually put your own narrative in within the Sims. Okay. So, um, but all this, obviously the, the photos that you take get saved to a folder so you can easily access the game data and just extract all your images. In Sims 3, it seems to go to the launcher. Yeah. And then you can grab them from there. Yeah. Fair enough. And put them in your blog. <laughs> as these people How do. How you know? How <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Sims 3 also has the online integration as well, I think, yeah. with the online EA games, login, origin, and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. so, like, it's, so the developers are like pushing this, this part of it. Wasn't there a Sims 2 stories? I can't remember. The, yeah, it didn't last very long. No, it didn't. No. Yeah, no. I think they tried to go with that, but people like doing their own thing. They don't want to have stories given to them. Yep. <laughs> it's also like, you know, turning the sound off a movie and sitting there with a friend yeah. and just like yeah, making is. up dialogue yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Especially this scene in the, yeah. 
your mind wanders just thinking about what they're talking about because it does look quite intense. That guy does kind of look like Hannibal from that new <laughs> She's gone, how much of that has he drunk so far? There's, there's a great one where she's like yelling at him. <gasps> look at that one. Look at that. Look at that. That's look intense. That. I've never had that one. took hours. Because yeah. <laughs> before that they were Ultra deciding high. whether they should dance or something yeah. like that. Yeah, like, it's, like scrolling through these is amazing. Um, I wanted to very quickly look at the... This is one of the challenges um, that Michelle was talking about. Which one's um, So starting out, so this is about... Um, oh, that's the simulation one. Yeah. Like build a city. Um, and it has these kind of rules for how to create um, sims. So you roll a d6. Ah, um, cool. And that determines the number of sims for every family. For every sim, you do another roll to determine their gender. It's a similar setup for legacy challenges to determine your traits and aspirations and stuff for your sims or your founder, as it were. Yeah, and then it kind of people go on to like, so this is someone who's actually kind of gone through it um, as a first time. So they've made all these characters um, and they're all kind of trying to, I guess, repopulate there. I like this, like, turn offs vampirism. Like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> that's, just, that's just true for everyone. I think. Um, wants to become a city planner. That's going to be hard when there's no city. Um, have 10 simultaneous lovers. Turn off, stink. Um, That'll help with the lovers thing, I think. <laughs> yeah. Those two things go hand in hand. Um, so, I mean, there, so, Michelle, there's a lot of these different like strategies you yeah. were saying. Challenges. Challenges, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. If you go on like the Mod The Sims 2 website or... Even EA Games forums would probably have just people listing all these challenges that they've come up with. Most common, I would say, is the legacy challenge, trying to achieve a 10-generation family through one founder. I never really got any fire with mine. I always gave up about generation five, or if they died or something. <laughs> and do people get really competitive with it? Is it kind of a... Um, I don't think it's a competition, really. Um, oh, depends on if you, you're jealous of custom content as well. <laughs> A lot of people post the, their stories online and go, oh, where do you get the custom content from? And 90% of it, I think, would be commenting on the fact that they've got shiny eyes or pretty hair or where do you get that um, couch from or something like that. It's a lot like Minecraft videos. Yeah. They talk all about, oh, what, where's that texture pack? <laughs> you know, where's that? It's a very similar. Very similar. But I don't say they compete with other storytellers or anything like that. Right. And we talked, we talked um, when we were putting this panel together, the idea like some of these content packs, it becomes almost like a, an America's, America's Next Top Sim. Oh, yeah, <laughs> gosh, I found that one. On, I think it's on LiveJournal as well. They had a setup where um, the community members submitted their sims and they got voted on and then they became, um, I don't know, sims next top model or something like that. And they got posed weekly challenges and they had to come up with photo shoots and it was all very superficial. <laughs> Um, oh, some of the drama from it as well, like because people had clear favourites and the people would troll the forums and it would just get also very dramatic. Was there a lot of smizing involved? Yes. That, that is all I care about. Throwing shade. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't have terms like that when we were playing. <laughs> no one should use terms like that. Back in 2004 or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, do you, do you think it's kind of... I was thinking about this before. Do you think it's not quite fan fiction, but it's almost in the space of fan fiction? Um, and then it's kind of like co-opting the, the Sims culture. But then it's kind of the same with Lena stuff. It's almost documentary. Is it just this like melting pot, or is it yeah. something else, do you think? Like something uh, new? 
I'd say it's a big old melting pot of possibility, really. You can do whatever you want with your sims. You can study their depression, depressive habits, or you can just micromanage their lives, or let them go free roam, and yeah, it's a melting pot of anything. That's why I love it. Yeah. Because you can really do anything why, with yeah. it. That's so why I like Minecraft as well, because it is that sort of thing. If you want to build for a while, you can build for a while. If you want to dig for a while, you can dig for a while. With The Sims, if you want to build a house, and that's all you want to do. I know people who only build oh my houses goodness, in the Sims. Yes. That's all they do. They hate the little people. They can't go away, but the <laughs> house... whole site's <laughs> devoted to hosting mm. house designs, and you can download all your houses. Yeah. So it, it is what you can make it, because that scope is so huge. Yeah. Mm. That's a beautiful segue. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, um, Claire, we might we might talk a little bit about that that house building process and about the idea of like the ideal life and the ideal home um, as kind of represented in The Sims. Yeah, um, I think it's really interesting because the early like Sims games, um, you had like an attribute called room which was like the Sims had to be an environment they really like, and that was in Sims 2. And it kind of took more of a back seat in Sims 3. Like, they still get happy if they're in a beautiful place. And, um, although they can simultaneously think their surroundings are vile and be happy it's beautifully decorated, <laughs> yep. which I can understand. I hate decoration too. Um, but, like, <laughs> um, there's... Um, it's interesting that like the very early Sim games had sort of because they'd come out of Sim City and that kind of thing, they had this huge emphasis on the idea that you're trying to build a house that's kind of that's having this effect on your characters. And the later game is a lot more about like you build a house to make yourself happy. The characters don't really care about mm -hmm. it, so it's it really it um, it the game kind of re-understood what the role of architecture in this game was and that it wasn't like so much a game mechanic, it was just an expressive force that you use the same way that you're painting these people's lives. And I find that really interesting because you can kind of look at The Sims as an evolution of dolls' houses and that thread of toys. And if you look at kind of 18th century dolls' houses, they came as a package. Like, your dad might make one for you, that kind of thing. You were a girl, you weren't going to sit down with woodwork tools and put it together yourself. Um, and like a lot of all the, the the pieces that came with it were like pre-made and that kind of thing. And the only control that you had was over the dolls. And you kind of you by the time you get to The Sims, the way it's set up and the way that the the builder is set up is it's very very similar to to SketchUp. It's very similar to the kind of programs that you use if you're trying to arrange the furniture for like IKEA, um, or if you go to like um, a McMansion builder. It's, it's very similar in the sense that, like, it's a modular system. You pick parts, you pick colours. Like, you don't really um, design for kind of emotional mood um, so much. Um, so it's, it's very, very similar to the way that consumers pick their houses. And that kind of reflects the change in particularly women's ability to um, control their environments, to own their own houses, to have some kind of say in the making of their space. And um, so it reflects that, like, actually really quite strongly, like, um, this big shift in also people in general's ability to control their environments and to, um, <clears throat> like, in the old days, people just built their houses kind of the way the houses were built. Um, and they did it for centuries. Like, they built it the same way because that's all they had. And we've moved to a system where the house as a means of personal expression is much, much more um, prominent. And um, 
for like, the wealthy. <laughs> for the wealthy. <laughs> yeah. uh, you mm. know, even for IKEA and that kind of thing. <laughs> like, if you even for like the McMansion style of house, like you look at um, flat pack houses from the 40s, it was like, oh my God, we've got four different options of houses, so yeah. much choice. And now you go to um, Meriden and it's billions of different options of houses. Um, and I think it's really telling in that trailer that it's so focused on the house building and like that is an aspect of um, that kind of thing. But um, it's, it's interesting to me because it's, a, it's essentially a toy for children, uh, as adults as well. But um, if you grow up playing it instead of playing with more traditional toys, it will shape your expectations about what you think you're, like what level of control you think you should have over your environment or what level of control you dream of having over your environment. And to me that's really interesting as an architect because it really emphasises um, kind of variety, um, it emphasises colour and texture, it hugely emphasises um, the contents of your room and it doesn't very much emphasise like where you are in your city, um, the relationship of the inside to the outside. Um, it doesn't very much emphasise light and shade, although they do, they want lots of light and the Sims in the early games want lots of room, like just more space the better, no matter how hard it is to clean or um, anything like that. And that kind of, again, that reflects like a developer's agenda about what's valuable in architecture and um, what's valuable in um, like the way that we organise our lives. Mm. And um, to me it's interesting because there's no counterpoint to that. There's no like option for me to go in as an architect and be like, no, value these other things. <laughs> and I kind of wonder if I've now got like this generation of clients that's going to rock up and be like, oh, can we have some like ornaments and... There's, no, there's yeah. no items of sentimental value either. There's yeah. no gifts that you mm. get from friends or anything yeah. like that in there. I always want, wanted the ability to take some crappy object, give it to someone else and then they had put it in pride of place in their home because it came from you. Like that's, that's something that my house is, is all of my favourite things in my house uh, came from someone else or were a gift or that kind of thing. So it, The Sims ha doesn't have that straight out of a box, everything straight yeah. out of a box, <laughs> no emotion, no sentimental value at all. Until and the, the, you know, the bill collector comes and takes it away. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're, they're the <laughs> traumatic, <laughs> it's just a traumatic yeah. experience for them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so yeah. Um, so, I mean, how much of that do you think is a reflection of... How much do you think the game reflects what The Sims want, then, within that? Because, like, the, that's all about, like, what the game tells a player it wants. But, like, if we imagine for a second, like, hypothetically, that The Sims are real... Um, you know, Sorry how, for all their murders. Said <laughs> oh, too many. Um, how much do you think the game allows the sims to understand space and their relationship to the space that they're in? Or is it purely just more room, please, more light, please? Um, I think, like, your work talked a bit about this, that, like, sims prefer certain rooms or seem to. Yeah, and yeah, they do. There's a... It's not very sophisticated, but the game seems to have an understanding of that in terms of, like, the sims are attracted to their favourite colour and... Um, that kind of thing. So there's... The neat freaks tend to like the bathrooms. Yes. Because the they're easy to clean and you just sort of go, done, and then they go, oh, awesome clean bathroom, and they get their little happy points out of yep. it. Mm. There's a... Yeah, so there's a kind of... There's an acknowledgement 
that people have preferences, but there's not a very sophisticated system for um, like that being more than just, oh, they like that room, they like that thing, rather than they like that quality of space, no matter what kind of room it is. Right. Yeah. And there's no real quality of like movement through space either. So like kind of spaces opening up or closed spaces or open spaces, there's none of that sort of manifest. It's purely like, I like bathrooms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah. is kind of, which is kind of strange because it is a game, as you said, about, in a lot of ways, it's a game about a character's relationship to that environment. We see that with the, um, the homeless characters. Like, mm. their entire narrative is about their relationship to space. It seems strange to have like, devoted so much time to, to everything else and to ignore that fundamental thing. But, I mean, how much do you think player, like general players are conscious of that? Like, do you think they would, they would be looking at a room and going, I understand what this room is doing architecturally and emotionally, and so my sim is feeling that? Or do you think it's just the sim's like a colour? Um, yeah, I think... I, I just... Like, I feel like there isn't room for that in the game is what is kind of interesting yep. to me. Like, for a lot of players, like, that probably wouldn't be, like, first and foremost, the idea that they need to construct, like, a really emotional journey through their house that like has an overall kind of theme and a sense of tectonics whether they want to create a house that's quite cave-like or a house that feels really light and thin and um, that kind of thing regardless of anything else um, so I think like whether it reflects player preferences or not is a really hard question to ask because the game doesn't let the players have a preference in that respect right. like it does kind of force this quite McMansion-y ethos of um, what their what their their way of constructing their environment is, and that players quite enjoy it as a kind of dec like an artistic medium, like it's a mode of expression. Mm. Um, yeah, doesn't seem like a failing on their part at all, and wouldn't be even if they had that option because it's like it's not actually a real house; it's um, a mode of art that is represented by a house. So, yeah. That's, that's a super interesting way of, of looking at it. How much do you think that the rest of... Do you think that's the entire basis of the game, then? That it's sort of painting with people? Yeah. Yeah, I do feel like that. Like, it is kind of like you're pursuing... I mean, like, art is any time you take an idea and try to represent it. Um, so even if your idea is this guy goes to university and lives in a house and, like, has all these babies, like, there's so many... <laughs> permutations for the way that could happen in the sense that any time that you set it up you're always putting like something of your individual personality into it mm. and every storyline you construct is essentially like um, a, a mode of self-expression um, that yeah you're not going to do it the same way as somebody else although the dice rolls might mean that it turns out exactly the same mm. um, it's uh, highly unlikely so yeah so there's that um kind of that two parts of it where like there's a very limited palette of options that are shaped by the developer and then there's that personal expression that comes through cool um so we might we might kind of open up to general panel slash audience questions um i think is there a roving mic there are roving mics um does anyone want to kick off a question not kick off as in <laughs> start a fight no. No. Oh, cool. Good. Yeah. I, I, have a, I have a massive list, but if people. Hello. Hello. Hi. Um, 
was thinking about with The Sims, uh, the whole duality thing. Because the thing is, every time you first get a game, uh, especially a game where you can create things, you usually borrow from your own life. And so, I mean, when I first got the game, I created mostly all my family members. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of, kind of gives you this weird thing where you go, all right, I've created myself, I've created my brothers, and let's see what happens. And the weird thing is, like, after a while, you kind of think, well, maybe my brother doesn't want to survive this trip to the pool. And I'll <laughs> And it's interesting because you start realizing that uh, you're controlling your family and you're pushing them in a way that you want them to act. And so you start looking at yourself going, well, is this how I want my family to act? Do I want them to be, like, better? Do I want them to have better jobs? Uh, do I want to live in a bigger house? And it, it's strange to me because, like, you start applying your own personality to these games and you start changing the things around you. Like, I think I had a friend of mine who created... Well, he had a girlfriend at the time when he had the game and created, like, they were married. Then they broke up. So she died. <laughs> strangely. Gosh. Just strangely, one day she just didn't come back home. Um, and so I found it very interesting that with these games you have more control of your own life in, in a strange virtual manner. And... Actually, strangely enough, uh, last year my likeness was put into a video game. Uh, it was a third-person shooter game called Max Payne 3. Uh, and the strange thing about it was, just like The Sims, because this is what it reminded me, was that when I played the game, because my face is actually in the game and I can control myself, which I thought was great, strange enough, when you play online, other people are you. So I came across a situation where, let's say, you come around a corner and I could see myself. But there was a guy who was really better than me at this game and had my face and was killing me. And so I had this kind of weird reaction where it's like, I've never, been so, ang- yeah, I've never <laughs> been so angry at a game before, but yet I'm getting killed by myself, who's much better at this game, and he looks exactly like me. That's deep. Yeah, <laughs> which is a weird problem. I've never been so angry at a game in my entire life, except this one game. I mean, I think it's the one game I really raged over for the fact that there are people who are me who are better than me. And so with this game, The Sims, it's interesting that you can uh, take parts of your life and turn it into, let's say, your own weird puppet theatre, in a way. Have you ever experienced that yourself? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When I first made myself as a Sim, I gave her all these great attributes. I was like, oh, you are tops. I'm going to give you this and this and this, and that's exactly what I'm like. I'm awesome. My husband took one look at it and went, you are not this, 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 or this. And you are definitely not a genius, my friend. And I go, oh, okay. So I went back and I made this, you know, little mousy woman, like, who, who also wasn't me. And I just stopped trying to make it me and started making it my, my people that I didn't like, actually, was the first thing. I didn't do my family. I did the people I didn't like so then I could do horrible things to them, um, <laughs> which is totally sanctioned and fine. It's not, it's not sociopathic at all. Um, but I did... I, I flirted with that idea of putting the real world into the game for a little bit, like I recreated my childhood neighbourhood and I recreated um, my work environment and I did you know, a couple of other things and then I just realised how non-satisfying it was. It was really, I really went, oh, either I know how that's going to end or that just went completely in the opposite direction to real life and I kind of either liked that version more or, or liked the real world version more and both of them made me feel uncomfortable. So, so I can't, because I can't make real life better or worse or whatever out, out of this. So it was kind of, I got a bit, it got a bit heavy, I think. And I sort of stopped putting real world stuff into it and started just focusing on these little balls of AI and looking into how they work. And, and that was much less heavy to me. So there's sort yeah. of two things I want to like, ask. 
of it. Not you specifically. I've not hurt anyone. Um, I'm not no, no. I, mean, I think I think we should talk about that. I think we should talk about like the impulse to 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 mutilate and horribly torture <laughs> Sims. Well, I want to see how much the game lets me do. Like, I think that's something that I do in a lot of games. When you sit down and you go, okay, what are the rules? How do I break them? That's like the first the first thing I do anyway, because I'm a shit. But the first the first thing you want to do is know. Is it a corridor or can I wander? Is it this or can I do that? And, and one of the things I do is what's, how do I die is one of the first things I explore. And then how do, I, how do other people die? And then you start messing around with how fun that could be or how different it could be. You know, you take the, the ladder out of the pool and, and, or you take the There's doors out of the rooms. There are ways to die as well. There are very there are, creative ways to die. You were saying that one of the challenges was to get, like, there's, like, 16 coloured ghosts... I think so, I can't remember. And so there were only like, I think Sims 2, they only had like six or seven or something. Fire, water, uh, oh, wow. electrocution was yellow, old age was white. Oh, I can't remember now. One was green. I can't remember what green was. Dying in, not, dying in nature or something. Is, dying in nature. Anyone know? <laughs> Yes, you could get squashed by a meteor if you kept on looking at your telescope too much. <laughs> Kids don't like science. Yeah, it's bad for you. That's awful. Yeah. You get squashed by a meteor. Just like just in real life. Just like in real life. Just you know, stare at something long enough, it yeah, will kill you. Come <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how, I mean, how, that that's um, it's sort of taking. Like, those aspects of it, like, they move The Sims into a fantasy world. Like, so much of it is, is kind of grounded. But, like, that, that overt death stuff um, just feels like it's like, hey, we've gone a bit loopy. But I think it was a, a really interesting thing that the, the vanilla game without any DLC or expansion or purchased items, you couldn't actually just kill another Sim, like, as a Sim. So you couldn't have your Sims killing each other unless you bought that death ray thing. Yes. Or unless you, so know, you, you could. downloaded. You could, <laughs> but not like as its own. I think that was a, even a um, community-made item. I don't know. Or was it a? Uh, it might have been. I don't know. But I found that really interesting that it wasn't in the game. You couldn't just walk into someone's house and go, yeah. "I want all your stuff." Like that. And I'm glad mm. I wasn't. Don't get me wrong, because that <laughs> would have been anarchy. terrible, <laughs> and it would have been really, really boring and dull. Um, but I found that really interesting when I first started playing that you couldn't just go in and be, you know. You couldn't make your sim that aggressive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. There was there was a little bit of resistance, and it wasn't because the cops are going to come or these consequences are going to happen. Yeah. It was because you just can't do that. Like, hey, yeah. grow up. Like, and that's what's really <laughs> interesting to me. Like, the game doesn't have any consequences for the sim if yeah. um, they die. Like, it doesn't have any consequences for their family. It doesn't have any consequences for you. Like, your only incentive to not kill off your sim is you've been playing this game for so long and you've seen everything that happened to them and it's actually got a real sense of empathy and desire to preserve things that other games only do so cheaply. Mm. Um, Yeah, like, you know, you're not deliberately wed to these people because it's run up to you and been like, save me, save me, and then it tells you its sad life story and then it dies and you have to feel really bad because you were meant to be protecting this person. And um, in The Sims, like, there's none of that exposition. It's just, you know, you've participated in everything that they've done. Um, yeah, you've shaped it. And that gives you, like, not, necess- not everyone gets a stronger sense of empathy, but you did. Like, you felt bad about kind of baby-walling your people. Yeah, it was fun um, for the first two weeks. And then you kind of go, oh, 
I'm a bit of a bad person, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. And you go, yeah, I probably shouldn't do that. But the novelty wears off is, is basically what I'm saying. Like, as, as Even if you don't have that empathy, the novelty does wear off and you have to do something else with it. You can't just spend the whole time killing people. You probably can. Someone probably has. <laughs> but I don't want to meet that person ever. <laughs> ever. Because that would be really scary. Mm. How much of that do you think is the... Um, the the two things, like the, the the fact that it like it's the same superficial layer is reality. Like basically it's about mm. presentation of, of, of our, our life or our kind of you know middle class world. Um, but then the other part is just like, you know, the, the struggle of day to day life. Like that's ultimately what the Sims is. And like do you think it's those two things together that create that empathy? Just the fact that it functions as a mirror? Yeah, I think as well there's a it's the Sims has a reputation between people with tiny brains for being a girl's game uh, because it does have... Because know, girls played in equal numbers to boys? Because boys? girls played in equal numbers. How dare they? <laughs> in equal numbers to boys. Um, and it, it had you know, domesticity about it, I guess. Um, but I think the people who played it... like I, I remember I sat down to play it. Um, my, my first son was a couple of months old. And I was like, I'm going to play video games again. This is going to be awesome. I'm going to sit down and play video games and have a bit of escapism. And I'd made my house exactly, unwittingly, exactly like it. With She was a mum and she had kids and she had all these jobs to do. And, she, and she, I, was, I was changing the nappy of one baby and then this and that. And I was like, holy shit, this is not escapism at all. What are you doing? <laughs> like, it's, what are you doing? And it, it's, it's that kind of... Um, the, the gender split, I find really fascinating about when people think it's a girl's game and why they think it's a girl's game and and um, how that affects the player and how they interact with the game as well. I find that really fascinating. Um, probably because I get shitty about that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I find, I find it... Do you find that weird because it's... Actually, there's, you've actually got the same split in um, people's hobbies. Like, men's hobbies are games and sports, and women's hobbies are basically, like, shopping and knitting and, like, these basically, like, light chores. And so Sims simulates light chores and is therefore, (laughs) like, women's kind of... Yeah, and and um, you touched on the dollhouse thing before. I think that that nails it a little bit. Like, that's sort of... It's easily put in that category. Whereas I think if you look a bit deeper, the the game's got much, much, much more offer than that, and it is what you make out of it. Um, And I think... I found it quite interesting that a lot of these communities exploring the storytelling mm. um, aspect of it are dominated by women. There are a lot of women saying, mm-hmm. I've done more than just changing nappies in this game. I've done more than just, you know, killing my neighbours in this game. Um, and I, f- I find that, that part really fascinating um, and kind of cool. It was the first game that made me go, yep, I'm a gamer. And I'm okay with that. And this is this is my little portion of the gaming community that I'm allowed to be in, um, which that's extremely problematic, as we all know. But that that was the first one where I went, yep, that's mine. I'm allowed to be in there. That's fine. I think that probably was the case yeah. for a lot of women is that they could get into games, mm. which was really awesome because games are awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it, but for that to be more accessible to women was also cool. Sorry, we've sort of made this a bit feminist, but... <laughs> you, can't, you kind of have to. Like, it's actually an important part of this game's history. Yeah, it is. Mm. Um, and why it was so popular. Because mm. 
it's it's really odd to me that um, like The Sims has almost every activity that you would normally do. Like it's got such a wide range of different activities, and it's really well acknowledged that that's a simulation. Whereas like all like first person shooters are gun simulators, but nobody calls them simulators because that would be that has like an emotional connotation that is about non-realism and those games are so invested in being super, super, super serious and like this is very serious business, we are killing people here. And there's actual and real guns in the game. Yeah. Unless it's, unless yeah. it's you know, Grand Theft um, or yeah. thing you're not so serious. And there's kind of, yeah, <laughs> there's that deliberateness about the language of it um, that wants to remove this activity is somehow different from all these other things that could be made game-like. Um, and it's a hugely manufactured kind of definition and it's like why aren't there a billion games that are washing up simulators and they're all trying to be a little bit different and a little <laughs> bit better and one's got a story about this dude and then he meets this woman and like you know like um, you know why aren't there these games that are all built around you know this one activity that we've managed to perfect because you, you know you go back to FPS's at the very beginning and they weren't very good um, not relative to what they are now mm. um, you kind of feel like a washing up simulator right now wouldn't be great, but you know, <laughs> if we if we invent if we invested the same amount of money in it, maybe you know people would no, be writing as much no, about I it. I find that that interesting. Yeah, but <laughs> but neither shooting people. Like, so you know, shooting yeah. people's not very interesting. Yeah, bang, they go down. Woo! Like yeah, you know, I, I do love games where you can shoot people. Sometimes it has its place. Don't get me wrong, but you know, for for domesticity to be treated as boring. And then military games to be treated as these amazing feats of technology and feats of, of manhood and interestingness, I find completely hypocritical and dumb because they're both They're both, they're both just numbers behind the thing. Yeah. They're both like um, abstractions from the real world that have been made up for, for gamers to have. Yeah. And like, yeah, the, the, the distinction feels really artificial to me. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think The Sims puts it on a level playing field a little bit. It makes domesticity approachable for men as well, a little bit. Mm. Um, in something that might be considered a girl's thing, there's plenty of stuff in there to, to say the contrary and to say that, hey, there is no girl's thing, so shut up. Just play this game and it's fun. And each gender has the same attributes and each gender can have the same aspirations. And, you know, while I'm interested in finding out the difference between the two genders, I think they are pretty much... You know, they've done it very well. They have. You've got to give it to them that they've done it very well in terms of they don't say women can't be the politician career or women can't be this career. You know, they haven't done anything horribly wrong like that. If they had, I wouldn't be sitting here talking about this game. <laughs> um, but it is a very 90s form of thing, like, where it's like, you can do anything. Of course there are no barriers. If you just dream about it, it'll Yeah, happen. which is a very middle-class American yeah. thing, right? Like, yeah. you can do whatever you put your mind to. Sometimes you can't because yeah. there's systemic <laughs> oppression in the way and there's things that will stop you, but... Yeah, and it's that very middle class aspirations. It's mm. like a very like it's a very McMansion style house, and it's a very like uh, like the the place that they live in. It's so customizable too, especially yeah. in Sims Three compared to Sims Two. Sims Two, you had a number of textures that could go on tables and chairs and couches and all that kind of thing. Sims Three, any texture on any object, pretty much you could do. Oh, you have the color changer and yeah, the like color that. changer and, and all the fabrics. fabrics and all the you know all I that. Love that. Yeah, it's <laughs> fantastic. Awesome. It's what I wanted out of The Sims Two, yeah. but but why did I want that out of The Sims Two? You know, and, and I'm actually and impressed with how much from The Sims Two that people made themselves, like with their own little hacks or customizations mm. that they actually took and put into Sims Three. I was yep. actually really impressed with that. It was cool. It was very cool. Um, but it was. It's interesting to me that what what are they setting up 
by letting you customise absolutely every little thing. Mm. And, you know, how interesting would that be if you could do that in the military first-person shooter? If you could <laughs> customise every single little thing that happened, how different would it be? And would it have that scope for being a little bit more interesting, perhaps, than just shooty-bang, you know? Mm. My little soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> um, do we have any more questions? Yes. Yeah. Oh. Um, do you want to wait for... You're fine, you can project. Oh. For the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I can repeat it. That the Sims overemphasizes Western and particularly American mm. values. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. The whole you can be whatever you put your mind you can you know, you can do whatever you want to do. And home ownership and really suburban style living and yeah. huge yeah. spaces. Even making that something you want mm. is a really Western, particularly American um, craving, you know, to actually want to own a home. There's not many people that actually want to own a home anymore. Um, even in middle class circles, um, people are going, yeah, no, nah, that's, that's a shitload of money, you know, and I could be spending that doing something else. So it is definitely, I think, the, the American dream. You can synthesise the American dream in this little bubble and do whatever you want and very, very, very easily make money no object. You just go into the console, type ka-ching, gives you a grand. <laughs> you go into the console, type mother load, and it gives you a hundred grand. grand. Yep. Like, it's so easy to just go, money is no object. I'm going to do mother load 18 <laughs> times. Woo! And then you get to just make whatever you want. And I wasn't really big into the modding scene or the, the communities behind the games or anything, and I still knew how to do those cheats. They are very, very easy to find. How do I get more money in The Sims? Google. Like, and it, it's that kind of thing that I think goes into the American dream as well, of just amassing wealth and doing whatever the hell you want with it and no consequences, no benefits, no, no nothing bad, nothing good happening, just yeah. wee. Yeah, I find it very disturbing that it's kind of set up as a dream simulator and that it has a very limited range of dreams. I mean, I guess, like, I wouldn't find that nearly as disturbing if it wasn't that The Sims was practically the only thing out there kind of doing that. At the same time, like, it, like with shooters, like I don't like this shooter, I can go and buy one of the many billions of others. Um, which <laughs> yeah. is why like, the customization doesn't matter so much because they're just put out there for you. Um, but with games like Sims, there aren't, before recently, there just weren't the range of, um, you couldn't go play something else if you wanted different values. Whereas now, I think, particularly like in the Farmville era, Mm. And that kind of thing where these kind of games have suddenly become or seem to have very suddenly become very, very, very popular and very like quite diverse in their kind of niche markets in a way. Um, you get a lot more like opportunity for that, I guess, to pick what values you want to simulate. How you want to grind. You can yeah. decide how you want to grind, whether it's WoW or Farmville or The Sims. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think, Michelle, with the stuff, the, the, the live journal and those storytelling communities, it's almost as though those, those core values like stop mattering yeah. at some point and people are just using it in a completely different way. Yeah, I guess. Like, do, you think it's, do you think the stories that people tell are still, manif still uh, reflections of like the underlying like kind of base values that The Sims is imbued with? Um, I think so. Well, it depends on whether you want to take the story, like um, especially with that Verona one, that's obviously a little bit outside of Sims because it's all got a bit of a theme. But if you're playing to the core expansions and everything where you've got your university, so you send your Sims off to university, that's a very middle-class thing to be able to achieve a uni degree. Um, oh, gosh, I can't remember. 
How many there are? Lots. Lots. Lots <laughs> um, <laughs> with the American values is that the only holiday pack is a Christmas pack. You don't have any other holidays in The Sims. Um, I never had a holiday pack though. <laughs> <laughs> But um, even the stuff packs or like H&M stuff pack or Ikea, Ikea. stuff pack yeah. or... Diesel? Diesel oh one? God, really? Yeah. <laughs> Katy Perry stuff pack. <laughs> um, yep. So it's kind of hard to avoid in some aspects. It's, it's, it's if you want to go outside of that sphere and go into other people's and what they've created and download other custom content to actually get that sort of diversity into your world. If you, want, you don't go to EA for it because they're not going to give it to you. It's always going to be like the little American dream. <laughs> Any more questions? Uh, yeah, I got Yay. Hello. I think, um, do you think maybe the game is good because it makes people strive to do better in a way as well? Like, um, say, uh, some people might have chosen them to become an architect after play playing this game because you build houses and stuff. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, maybe. Like the game has, uh, I have heard of friends that they, they've had kids and they love building houses and that's obviously given them inspiration to become architect or something like that, but not really anything concrete. No, I, I could easily see it like that um, in terms of like the game, like not so much what the game has the characters inside do, but the skills that it actually gives the, the player. Like mm. I could easily see, yeah, someone, like if they just make all this money and then spend all their time designing houses, like really wanting to. I could also see it like being the kind of tool that you use as a kid to become a filmmaker later on in life. Like, yeah, it is kind of a very easy... It, it's a lot easier than sitting down and writing a story. Like, you know, you yeah. just set up the interactions. You don't have to, like, write about, you know, how he saw the nape of her neck and was, like, so enthralled and rah-rah-rah. Because, rah, rah. you, you know, you, you, you don't have to worry about how bad you are at writing or anything. You just kind of sketch it out. Um, and it's like having really talented actors at your mm. disposal. <laughs> You're just like, You're oh, really good at improv. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I think for me personally, it was really interesting to see when, when you decided on an aspiration for your sim, say they wanted to be an artist or something, they'd get this urge every night to practice yeah. painting or to practice doing something. And it made me go, oh, hey, if I want something, maybe I should practice that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that bright. But like it, it was that sort of active reminder to this, you can grind at stuff in real life and yeah. that might have benefits to you um, as a person later on and I, I think yeah it's sad that it took a video game to teach me that but school <laughs> was not great so <laughs> it was something that I think really helped me seeing that that aspect of it the sim interacting with their passion made me look at how I interacted with my passions as well I mean that, that that's interesting because that is like taking almost the positives of the other question it's like actually some of these values that the game has are good values to kind of embody but I guess, I mean, with, with your... Oh, point, yeah, I don't want to sound like I hate no, no, this no. game. Like. <laughs> no, 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 but I think, I think it is. I think with a game like The Sims, you have to take... You have to accept the fact that it is a multi-million dollar project made by a corporation to sell yeah. X number yeah. of units to yeah. X number of people to make... And then it's probably going to be happy. bought by parents yeah. who mm -hmm. want to, like... The kind of parents that are going to buy it want endorsement for their values for, yeah. like, their littlies. Yeah. But I think I wanted to touch on, um, back on Sim Interrupted, Lena, because we were talking before about the idea of resilience and like this, whether or not you could create a Sim who got so depressed that their empathy score went up because they could yeah. understand 
how other people would feel or yeah. whether or not that was just completely outside of the values of the game. Yeah, there wasn't much scope to actually make that happen, but I wish I wish that it did. I wish there were there, I wish there was a little like yeah. I understand pain now kind of little little achievement um, unlocked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a little bar weeks saying of misery. Yeah, yeah, weeks <laughs> of misery achieved. Therefore, I understand other people's misery and now I take frozen meals to my friend's house when they don't come out of their house for six weeks. Mm. Like that kind of <laughs> that would be great. I would I would love that if that was part of the Sims. But um the yeah, I have to see how far I can break them to see really what, you know, what can come out of it. Um I don't think their interactions with other Sims change because of their own personal journey very much. I've not even when I've been playing not focused on the blog, but even when I've been playing someone who has aspirations to be the president of the United States, or the, well, we, we say United States, but it's actually not. It's actually its own little world, but it's totally United States. So United States um, or something. Yeah, United Sims. Um, yeah, so, you know, they want to be the president, so they've got these huge aspirations, and they they start off quite low in the socioeconomic kind of groupings. And they have their friends and they're sort of here. And as they're going up, they're still interacting with their friends normally like they would at the start of the game. And it's like, that isn't rea like reality at all. No. You, you would start to find you're, you're in different worlds now. You can't communicate the same as you could anymore. Kind of like the optimism of that, in a way. Yeah. And that's, it, it's, it's quite sweet that you never yeah. forget your roots and you know, we're all little Kevin Smith. Um, that kind of thing. And, and it's, all, it's all sort of... But it's, it's not reality at all. And I, I find that... That part really interesting, that their own personal struggle doesn't seem to influence how they act around people. Like when Amy has someone over, she's not like, please don't go home yet, you know, whereas I know I've had situations where I've had a really bad day and the person's like, oh, I should head off. And I'm like, no, please don't. <laughs> not even for a little bit. Can you just never leave? Just sit there. And just, <laughs> but then there's things that do just never leave. There are things that never leave. Yeah. Or someone moves the bed in front of the door. <laughs> There are sims that you're like, so... What are you doing now? tomorrow it's already. For three days. Go away. <laughs> and they just go to the fridge and help themselves. But yeah, like there's that kind of... I, w I would really like to see their personal struggle having a bit more effect on how they treat other sims. But having said that, that is a massive job. Yeah. That, that can't be done. It's huge. It's, if we had a whole country working on this game, we probably couldn't even pull that off without it being really naff. It's just real life, man. It's just real life. Well, it's great that the, the, the town ages with your Sims as well. Mm. I thought that was cool. So that the whole town ages as your Sim is aging. So you're not like fourth generation talking to a guy your great 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 grandfather used to be friends with. <laughs> so yeah, that would be weird. Yeah. <laughs> Any more questions? Up the back. Um, I think if it was any other game, you'd consider that breaking the immersion, but you're very aware that this is a game the whole time you're playing it. You've got a HUD, you've got, you know, you're playing God with these tiny little people. You don't forget you're playing chess when you're moving these chess pieces around and, and think they're real people and real knights and real, you know. So there, there's that sort of aspect of um, 
when it does break from reality, if it was a different kind of game, you would go, oh, that's not realistic at all. I'm playing a game. Oh, I'm bummed out now because I was in there and now I'm not in there. I'm out. But with The Sims, you don't get that. But when it does go away from reality in terms of my parallels in my life, um, I find it interesting. I reflect on it. I kind of go, oh, cool. But it does lose me a little bit, a little bit. But having said that, it's a huge game. It can't replicate, you know, even if it's a huge game, it can't replicate what the human condition can do. Um, but sometimes it'll surprise me in really amazing ways and better than real, real life. And sometimes it'll be way worse than real life. And I find, I find actually it way more interesting when it does stray from reality than when it does sort of go the predictable path or go something that I can observe that is in the real world. I find it way more interesting that, that when, it, when the two paths are going like this and they go like that, that bit in there is gold. That's, that's this is great for the podcast, me using my hands, but um, <laughs> that bit in between the reality and the, um, the simulation, I don't consider it a failing of the simulation. I just consider that really interesting, but that's because I like to get my teeth in that difference and sort of analyse why it's different and, and that kind of thing. I feel like the charm of The Sims is, regardless of what happens, you can really understand the logic behind, like, there's, there's always a logic to what happens. And it's not a logic that's so far removed from your expectations. Like, some things are surprising, but they do kind of resonate with something. Like, it's come from, um, like, this, this space that is well understood by all of us. Um, what I would be really interested in is like getting a little bit further from that and doing something like, what was it called, Real Lives 2008 or Real Lives 2010 that was based on data about um, the fates and like the tendencies to get sick. And you'd start off with someone in some random country and you get to six and then your sister would die and then you'd get to like ten and you'd start a job and you'd kind of work in your job. And it was all just based on like um, um, OECD data on your life. And what was really interesting about that was it had none of the charm of The Sims. Like, when something happened, you wouldn't laugh because you kind of saw it coming or it seemed like the logical output of, like, what had happened And it was before. super depressing, like, his yeah. sister died. <laughs> it would yeah. actually... What, what it actually seemed like was totally out of the blue. And what that made really clear was, like, how um, totally unpredictable and totally out of someone's control some people's lives are. And... In a way, like, the value that that pressed was so, um, like, that had such a really strong message that you could accept that these things are going to be, like, because the whole game simulation, actually, is kind of like that, you can accept that it's in that space. Because Sim City, uh, not Sim City, because The Sims exists in a space where it's so clear throughout the entire, entire game that um, everything is a follow-on from everything else and that life is, consists of some like, consistent track, be it upwards or downwards. It doesn't really matter if it turns out like, different from reality, even though I'd like, I'd like a simulation, not necessarily this one, that does track reality. Um, it matters that it's consistent with that value of the game, I think. Um, that, that, that it's kind of that impression of the world that the game kind of relies on, I guess. And it's got, you've got to remember as well that it is a product and it is something that we play for entertainment. So you do have to have your set rules and your little world and, and the player knows exactly what they can and cannot do within that little world and that's satisfying. Reality 
is really not satisfying. Reality is really scary. <laughs> reality you cannot control. Reality you, ca you cannot understand. Like no matter how smart you are, how old you get, how wise you get, there's stuff that makes you go, what? And there's been a lot of it this month, I tell you. But there's, a, there's um, you know, that, that's very comforting and that's, I think, why we go back to these systems over and over again is because we can frame it in this tiny little box and go, I know exactly how everything in that works and I don't in the real world and that's really scary. We might have, oh, yeah, maybe just, you might need to be our last two. So Michael there and then here. Yeah. Yep. Um, I uh, work in a sales role um, at JB and I had a customer come up, uh, a mother, wanting to buy The Sims for her daughter. Um, I know now like, a lot of parents have a lot of input whether their children should play you know, at what age play tutors and all of that. So I said I want to buy The Sims for my daughter. She's eight. And I thought, oh, yeah, I don't know. She put me in this position to make the decision for her and usually the parents do it themselves. Um, and the daughter was there and she's looking up me and her mum's like, what do you think? And I'm like, uh, I, was in, I was thinking, well, I played The Sims when I was like a teenager or whatever. Um, there were three things I mainly did. One, build houses. Two, kill Sims in the pool. And three, <laughs> have, and I thought, well, I've, this little eight-year-old girl, and she probably wants to game, so her friends play the game and she might just want to do that whole you know, dollhouse thing. Mm. That's something, oh, well, let's play them or whatever it is. And what if she goes delving into that more relationship side of the game and all that other stuff? And I was sort of, my conscience was thinking, no, I don't think it's appropriate for this girl who's eight. I thought, mum, oh, I don't know. And I was sort of thinking this would, you know, sort of ruin this relationship, stuff like that. And then the mum turns to the door and went, no, sorry, I don't think it's really that. And the girl was straight to tears and was like, well, mum, my friends said it. Um, they left, and I felt, yeah, a bit bad for breaking this girl's heart. Do you think I made the wrong choice? I think you did the exact right thing, and I think what she should have done is perhaps taken your advice, done a bit more research, bought the game, and played with her daughter. Yeah. Um, so that then she could monitor what, um, I don't want to put this woman on the on the, the spit, but, you know, to, to then she could decide what was suitable or not for her daughter, because that's what parents need to do. Mm. And even if you're a parent that doesn't like game, I'm a parent, and lucky, I'm lucky, lucky enough to have a bit of game literacy, and my, my son benefits from that, uh, and so will my, my baby son as well. But it's, we've got to remember that how parents get really scared about what games have in them. They don't understand them. They didn't grow up with them. A lot of parents, some parents did. Some parents get really scared. Some parents, therefore, automatically go, mm -mm, don't like it, none of that, none of that. And you can't say none of that anymore because they're so in our society. Um, but I think she, sh she should have bought the game, perhaps, maybe, and sat down with her daughter and played it. And then when things that were questionable came up, either start a conversation or shut the game down or tell her what to avoid or that kind of thing. But in terms of your own validation, you did the right thing because <laughs> you pointed out to this mother who didn't know uh, something that she should be aware of in that game. So, well done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I heard an anecdote, well, didn't heard an anecdote, read a tweet by a friend of mine who saw the neighbour's uh, like six-year-old daughter skipping down the street with a copy of Modern Warfare 3. <laughs> <laughs> <gasps> she seemed so happy. Yeah. I probably would have been too at her age. Um, yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On the one hand, I'm really happy that like... I'm not. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not even a little bit. No, yeah, I, th I think, yeah, no, that's messed up. Did Six year olds. Want, did you want to add that into Michelle? Yeah. No, no, I validate you, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have no opinion. Um, we might have our I, last question yeah. here, thanks. Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> you guys are so strange. Seriously, actually, but um, I usually have parents coming and asking for Call of Duty for their eight-year-old sons and for a headset for their eight-year-old. Yeah. Say, buy the Sims for your under ten child. That's fine because I was playing it when I was under ten. I do think them all have sex. But and having sex who? is not as bad as killing people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, um, my, my question really is, when I was younger, my end game was to make as much money as possible, build the biggest house, yep. um, have as many sins as I could live in there. But now as I've got older, it's kind of more about the happiness of my sins and making like the perfect, well-rounded sin. Um, mm. I just want to know if you guys have like an end game for when you're playing, like a goal for when you're playing, not when you're doing your sim interrupted thing, but like, you know, when you're just playing for fun, is there something that you I can never let my sins fail. I'm just like, you have to do your homework. You have to do all your in-job opportunities. You have to do this and do really, really well. Scrub that toilet! I know. <laughs> want to be able to eat off that. <laughs> I just, I can't let them fail. I feel so bad when they fail or if they become delinquents or anything like that. Is that, that because you feel like that's your fault? Yeah, pretty oh, much. Like, no. I, I feel like if I can't keep tabs of all the sims in the household and they, they're not me getting all their needs, needs met, that I've somehow failed them. Oh. And I'm like, oh no, oh, I have to focus on this sim. And then I neglect another sim and like, oh <laughs> no. And then I have to close the game for a while and come back to it later. But yeah, that's one of my, like, my game things is I just cannot let them fail. If they're medieval sims, they probably need needs as well. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a little bit the opposite. Like, I tend to use it a little like an executive sand garden. In like, you know, it's just to go in to kind of tinker around for a little bit and kind of yeah, just send them off on errands and kind of yeah, more like a gardening kind of experience than trying to be like, okay, this is my goal. I'm going to set out to do this kind of this week. Yeah. I have a number of different sims that serve different purposes to whatever I feel like when I sit down and play it. So there's one up-and-coming corporate dude who's, <laughs> like, awesome. He could be a model in his part-time work, you know what I mean? He's, like... He could be a part-time model. He could be a part-time <laughs> model. <laughs> yeah. He could be a waitress. Um, yeah, it's that kind of... And, and that's when I feel like being that particularly high-powered soup kind of guy. And then there's ones where I just build and then there's ones where I want to... Uh, actually, actually made a sim to have a baby, so then I could have the baby from day dot. That's right. <laughs> yeah, and then so that the sim that has the baby, pff, screw her. The one, the baby is the one that I want to dictate how their life goes from yeah. start to finish because you they do age and you can, they do die of old age eventually, and you can see this baby from in its mother's tummy to dying of old age, and that's the part that. That sometimes I like that, sometimes I find that too heavy and I can't do it. And then sometimes I really love to get into that whole, you are my person and I'm dictating, especially as a parent, 
I get to dictate exactly how you feel about the world and how you react in the world. I can't do that with my boys <laughs> in real life because they're autonomous beings, unfortunately. So I can't I can't do that with them, but I can do it in the game. And so it's you know, I was shocked by my own um, treating domesticity as escapism when it was just like my real life, but you can actually tweak it to still get something out of that, even though it is a domestic thing. I really do love making sure these little people grow up to be good humans, mm. which is my, my goal in real life as well. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, on that note, um, please join me uh, in thanking Lena and Michelle and Claire. You have been listening to an Acme podcast. For more recordings of talks and live events, go to Acme Channel and the Acme. At it.